Matthew Turner is an author and ghostwriter who has published three novels and a non-fiction business book. His book Beyond the Pale came about after interviewing hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, authors, investors and thought leaders. This episode, you will hear about his unique insight into areas such as mindset, flow and personal development, as well as how he builds relatable stories for those looking to live a meaningful and purpose-driven life. People always like, oh, you must have been really into like English literature and an avid reader growing up as a kid. But the truth is, I always struggled with grammar. I had um, I had taught like speech therapy when I was sort of little, when I was still at primary school. So I always struggled with speaking. I think that kind of got a little bit of a kind of a complex around that. Mm. And then as I moved further into school. I always struggled with certain grammar and spelling. And I just created this association between books and writing and English as something that I wasn't good at. Yeah. So it's something I always thought. I was really into my sport. I was more sort of towards the sciences rather than the arts. But funnily enough, when um, I took my GCSEs, I got a C in... in um, language which is more like the spelling and the grammar and things of that nature which was you know i was like quite happy with that but i got an a in literature which is very surprising i just didn't see that coming at all and i just didn't understand it yeah i was like how have i got an a in literature now as i look back i realize i've always had an affinity towards storytelling i've always had quite a wild and vivid imagination and i like expressing myself i just didn't allow myself to think i could do it in the form of writing because I assumed that I was bad at writing. I couldn't do it. I couldn't spell that very well. I didn't have a massive vocabulary. I didn't love to read. At least I didn't have, I didn't like that to dive into the classics mm. and such. So it wasn't until I got into my early 20s that I turned to writing and allowed myself to lean into it. First, as a form of therapy for journaling. But as my mind always does, I would journal and it instantly and automatically started to create this story and this idea of a book. And I thought, why not? Let's give it a go. And then throughout my 20s, I just kept revisiting this book, which became my first novel, Beyond Parallel. And at this point, I was not a writer Mm. in any shape or form. I was just sharing stories from my head. And I would finish the book, and then I would leave it. And then I would come back to it several months down the line. And it was just this little side thing. It's a little thing in my job. It's a little thing I would just come back to every now and again right. throughout my 20s. And as I got towards the back end of my 20s, I thought, I need to either just leave this in the drawer forever or finish it. And once I committed to finishing it and actually sharing it with like editors and on forums and learning how to take this story and crafting it into a actual book, I realized, yeah, this is actually fun. And I'm actually not that far removed from being a writer as I thought I was. And here we are gosh, around about 10 years later, 11 years from that fact. And yeah, had five books and ghostwritten some books for other people. And my, my life every single day is just writing, 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 writing. Which is, you know, something that if you were to ask your teachers way back when, they would be like, oh no, Matthew won't become a writer type thing. But how long did yeah. it take you to write the first book? So you said you were doing it like, you know, piece by piece and then kind of you reach that stalemate point of like, right, this either comes out or this doesn't come out. So wh- how long are we talking here? It was like, you know, five years, six years you were writing was, this book? So I started it probably when I, either just before or just after I turned 22, right. I think. 
and I probably completed the first draft. Um, I would say nine months, just something I was writing. I mean, but gosh, I, I seem to remember the first draft came to like 110,000 words. Right. And the final novel be, was whittled down to around about 70,000. So that first draft was long-winded. I wasn't a writer by then. So the first first draft, mm. probably around about nine months. Between that point and then actually publishing it, I didn't publish it until I was, I was, I think I was 29, might have been 28. So you're looking at a six, seven year period throughout my 20s while I was still studying, having my early jobs. And I would come back to it, like something would happen. I would maybe read a book or I would, you know, hear an interview or just, I had like this moment of, you know, I just want to go back to it. So I would, I'd go back to it and rewrite it, edit it here and there and leave it for a few months and then go back to it and dive in for a few months. And it was just this back and forth thing. It was just there on the side, just as this form of like, I guess, therapy, like when I didn't enjoy my job or when studying became, you know, difficult, it was always there for me to just express myself in some way, shape or form. But it probably wasn't until I was about 27, 28 when I, I reached that point where I was like, I either need to leave this forever or actually finish it send it to agents or publish it. I didn't even really know about self-publishing at this point. Mm. So yeah, it was probably like a five, six year period. And that's when I started like sharing snippets on writers forums and sharing it with like editors and to get like critical feedback and realizing, wow, I've got a lot to learn, but actually this learning process is quite fun. And through repetition and just trial and error, I got closer and closer. And, and then I eventually got it so close that I worked with an editor and learned about self-publishing and blogging and this world, which I just didn't really know about. I knew the online world was out there, but I had no idea if there was people making a living out of like blogging and, you know, self-publishing their work and, you know, podcasting at this point was still very, very new. YouTubers were very, very new. Like, gosh, barely a thing. Because this was probably about 10, 2010, 2011. And it just opened my world. And I was like, you know what, this is what the world I want to be in. So I ended up leaving my job to work myself, mm. finish my books, write more, and just kind of find my, my vocation working for myself. So yeah, my 20s was very much wandering in the wilderness. It was pure exploration. Carried on live out in my 30s. It wasn't until I got to around about 34, 35, where I felt like I finally felt found my little niche in the world of writing where I felt like, okay, yes, this is what I like. This is what I'm good at. This is what I can give clients in terms of value. And the deeper I've gone down that rabbit hole, the better it's been in the last few years. Yeah. And this will be the listener's first time hearing of you. Uh, for, for full disclosure, this is Matthew Turner. And your style of writing is storytelling, but with a message in it. So it's not just always kind of like, oh, you know, so-and-so went down to the stream and, and drank a, a, a bottle of water. It's like, no, there's a purpose to this journey and there's a, yeah. and there's a, there's a message in there. How did you kind of come to this style of writing? Because it is something that's not very common, you know, it's either fiction or nonfiction, but yours is kind of branching between the two. I, that side of things has come quite naturally to me. It's just how I naturally go about it. Mm. Everything I've written about, all the books I've written about, have come from my own questions, my own inner demons, my own, you know, curiosities. Mm. So I will be writing to try and figure out what's going on in my head. 
And I find it very exciting to do it that way because I'll find myself interviewing thought leaders, mm. reading up on subjects on a particular type of, you know, whatever the book might be about, reading books about it, whether it be novels or nonfiction, how-to books. So I'm bit by bit trying to figure out the answer for me. But the way I clarify my own thoughts is to then get it down onto the page, but to not just write it word for word, but then how can I reinterpret this? How can I get this across in a point which is interesting and rich? So that side of things, writing a story and you know leaning into the, the storytelling fabric, but making sure there's a grander meaning behind it comes naturally because I'm not just writing a story for the sake of writing a story. I'm writing a story to help me, Matthew, figure out some kind of answer me, Matthew, to make some kind of progress toward X. All my books have taken that kind of journey. I've written three like fully purebred novels. So there's fiction, the kind of novel you'll pick up in a in an airport and just read for the, you know, pure escapism, pure entertainment. I wrote a, a nonfiction book called Success Mistake, where I interviewed 160. 60 odd thought leaders and entrepreneurs about their mistakes and their failures, which I was inspired to do when I started to build my own business. And I was terrified of making mistakes and failing. So I turned to them to try and figure out what to do, what not to do. But I didn't want to write this boring textbook kind of how to book. I wanted to bring their stories alive and piece various stories together into a single chapter. And again, I was doing this to help make sense of it myself in the hope that then the person reading it would also be inspired and make sense of it. And then the latest book, Beyond the Pale, is kind of a bit of a combination of fiction and nonfiction. I, I liken it most to a, a book like The Alchemist, where it is a novel, but there's a clear resounding message behind it. You don't just read it to escape, you're reading it to inspire and to awaken and to open your eyes. And again, I interviewed certain people so I could bring their stories to the page, but have them make, have their stories, I suppose, expand my own. Mm. So Beyond the Pale is like this culmination of my fiction and my nonfiction work. But the, the constant thread in everything I write, whether it's a book, whether it's an article, whether it's a blog, whatever it may be, is always this idea of, I'm curious about this. This is on my mind. This is a question I'm asking. So I need to go and make sense of it mm -hmm. and I can research it and study it and expand my thoughts, but I, it won't become clear in my head until I write a story, until I bring it to life on the page. Yeah. And, and your first book, you said you were kind of in this, this state of finding yourself and figuring life out. But I'm curious with the, also with the two fiction books and obviously with Beyond the Pale, where do you find your ideas? Where do your book kind of, you know, the starting thread of the book, where does that come from? So my first, my first book, um, novel, Beyond Parallel, the one which I wrote on and off throughout my 20s, came on the back of a, you know, like a rough breakup, like my first real love, you know, in my early 20s. So that was kind of the inspiration. And it's the overarching premise of that book is this idea of what if you know, like a sliding doors moment. Mm. What would have happened if I'd have done this and stayed with a girl and what's life like if we'd never have met kind of situation? And it was a big thing on my mind, something that was keeping me up at night at this stage of my life. 
Um, the second book, Tick to the Talk, is more about a guy who gets a terminal illness and it's him living his final few months on this planet. And again, this is at a time when I wasn't necessarily dwelling and thinking about death per se, but I was trying to figure out like what does a meaningful life look like to me? Mm. So again, this was an explanation I went on because I was trying to think like, what is it that I want to do? Who is it that I want to be? Um, I Don't Love You is this kind of anti-love story. And again, it was at a time when I was quite a new father, you know, and I was trying to like come to sense of certain things around what it means to be a father, what it means to have a partner and so on. So, and then the success mistake is all this idea about failure and turning mistakes into success. And it was a point in my life when I was leaving the working world to start my own business. And I was terrified of making a mistake. I didn't really know what my business was going to look like, what I was good enough at. So that was keeping me up at night. And then this current one, Beyond Beyond the Pale, is all around hustle culture and the toxic aspects it has on our life, not just in work, but in every fabric of our being. And again, this came on the back of when I was becoming a father for the second time. And I realized I was going to have to turn completely enough to change my relationship with work if I was to be the father I wanted to be to Imogen. So they just have all come from literal life events of mine, things which at that moment in time, for one reason or another, keep me up at night. The thing where life quietens down a little bit in the shower as you brush your teeth or as you're driving in the car were playing on my mind. Mm-hmm. And I felt in every single one of those books, they were books that I felt like I needed to write. Not necessarily books that I wanted to write, not necessarily books which I um, felt that I was ready for, but they were books that I quite literally felt I needed to write because otherwise I would get no sleep. Yeah. I, I, I'm curious as well, because you said that these books are attached to kind of pivotal moments in your life, but also they have now become, you know, your your bread and butter, the way that you, you make a living. So when you got that first booking, I'm assuming because you said you, you found out about self-publishing, you went down the self-publishing route. What did yeah. that look like for you? And, and then how did you also get out there selling? Because I know, you know, big publishers, they have that massive marketing arm and they throw money at it because they have a financial interest in making the book successful. But in this case, if you're self-publishing, obviously the costs are coming from you, then all the profit or, you know, whatever go- comes back to you. So how- talk me through that process of self-publishing. I mean, it's a tough process. As you say, everything falls on you. And I wanted to do it because I, I liked the freedom. So the first um, few books were self-published. Um, the most recent one is traditionally published. And I liked the freedom. I liked the freedom of being able to, you know, create my own book covers for, for right or for wrong. I liked the freedom of being able to, you know, sell on my terms and, and market and promote on my terms. And it was it, it was pure exploration at this point. I had no idea what I was kind of doing. So I, it was a fantastic exploration to understand how publishing works like what it actually takes to bring a book to life at this stage i didn't even really know what it was like to write a book when we're going back to the beginning i didn't know what the editing process was like i didn't know what it was like to you know design the interior of a book what it was like to work with a book designer 
what it was like to then actually get it on Amazon. And that's just to get you to like ground zero, just to get to a point where the book is available for readers. So it was interesting. It was overwhelming in every sense. And yeah, it cost time, it cost attention, it cost energy, it cost money. But it was interesting because I was learning all the time. I was learning about this, 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 this. It was interesting. And as soon as I finished the first book, I was like, wow, I could and should have done things differently. So I would make certain changes for the second book. And then after that one, there was things I could and should have done differently, which I did to the third. And yeah, it's 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 a constant journey in that sense. You know, I'm not gonna pretend like I've got it all figured out in, in the online world and how to, you know, build a massive following and things like that. I've still only scratched the surface in many ways in that sense. But every time I learned more. And one of the great things about self-publishing is it never felt like it was finite. Once you write a book, it's there. You know, it's it's timeless, it's evergreen. So I could go back and rewrite, edit, update those early books, give them new book covers, re-release them, you know, try new campaigns. There's nothing stopping me from doing that. And that's exciting too, because you know that there's never an end point. You know, you can move on to the next book, you can try different things, but they're still there. They still can be brought back to life. They can be retried and retested, re-experimented with. And you can't necessarily do that so much once you get like traditional publishers and traditional contracts because there's a certain gatekeeper and there's a certain loop that you need to go through. So yeah, self-publishing was utterly overwhelming. It's certainly something I wouldn't want to do as much now because at the time, or at least I would pass a lot of the things off because I just don't have the time to do all the pieces now. But I, I have greater other resources to be able to like pass on certain things and delegate. But yeah, it's I suppose with anything, there's the good parts of self-publishing and the bad parts. There's the good parts of having a traditional publisher and the bad parts. And as, as I go further on, it'll probably be more of a hybrid approach where you, you do certain things yourself. You collaborate with other publishers on certain things to, to try and get the best out of your book and trying to extend the reach. And that's what it's all about, really. A book, once it's out there into the world, you're just trying to get it in as many of the right hands as possible. Mm. You want people who need to read it to read it. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's self-publishing, hybrid publishing, traditional publishing. You just want the right people to read it. Yeah. I'm curious. You said you, you've done work with a traditional publisher in the traditional sense. How did you come about finding the publisher? I'm sure it's that kind of process of where you, you might send the book out to 10 and then five are interested and then you, you take your pick from those five. But talk me through that process where you're online Googling like, okay, I've got Penguin Publishing. Who else can I send this book to type thing? <laughs> well, it actually initially started, I, I tried to find an agent. And I was pitching agents and I still want to get an agent um, because I feel like that's a good long-term collaboration and partnership to have. So that is still a work in progress. But while I was looking for an agent, I uh, just connected with someone who owns a publisher called David, who owns Morgan James Publishing. And they're a traditional publisher, quite a hybrid sort of approach. And we just got talking and went down that rabbit hole and I was like, yeah, I think this is a natural progression for me. Um, you know, it felt like the right sort of step to take at that stage in time. Um, so, so yeah, it was a very serendipitous connection. 
it was very evolutionary, very organic. And at that time, it just felt like the right step to take where I was able to work with a traditional publisher, but not in a way necessarily like you would if you were working with something like Random House or Penguin. But, um, but yeah, who knows what the next book will entail, you know, the different journeys to take. It's a great part of it as a writer. I I don't know what lies ahead. You know, you, you can see right now above my head is the, the outline of the next book, which is the second book in the trilogy that sequels um, Beyond the Pale. I have no idea where the journey is going to take me writing that second book because I've not started writing it yet. I'm still in the early stages of like studying and researching and bringing it all together. It will take me on a journey. It will be an incredible journey as committing to any book is. It'll have its ups and its downs. And at some point, I'll get to a stage where I'm like, yeah, I need to start speaking to agents. And I'm, and I'm constantly exploring that and collaborating with certain people and, you know, forming those connections because I want to see what comes about. And at some point, I, I certainly have the belief that I will form the right connection with the right agent and that will take me on its own journey. And then you find a publisher and that will take it on its journey. It's it's a great thing. I think there was a time when you would get in bed with a publisher and that was kind of it. Mm. You know, unless another publisher came along and like, you know, stole you from them, that was it. They would say, yeah, we want the next book and this is the deadline and this is how it was and it, very much a job. It's not like that so much these days. There's greater freedom, you know, you publisher might still want you to do that, but you've got options. You can say, well, okay, maybe, but maybe that's not what I want right now. So you can take your services elsewhere. So I try to lean in and embrace that uh, flexibility and be opportunities to write these days. Again, there's good parts to it, but not so good parts. But yeah, it's exciting. So for you, writing is something that, you know, is is what you do full time. And it's something you, that you have, you know, taken into your your kind of life right as in it's it's not something that was you know once a side hobby and you know has remained a side hobby it's your it's your whole being now and you said something about finding your publisher you know it was just a random chance encounter are there any other kind of chance encounters that that have happened that have led you to be able to be to be the successful writer you are now most of my client work it's it's amazing um mentioned the book earlier the success mistake where i interviewed all those people to some degree so there's two sides to this the first is one of the biggest mistakes i made for that book was i interviewed these people when it came to um, publishing it and trying to get it in the hands of people i realized i've not done a very good job of nurturing those relationships right. i'd formed for connections and then didn't do good enough of nurturing them mm. and that hit me hard because i was like i don't want to be that kind of guy so this was around about 2015. Yeah, 2015. So basically from that point on, so in the last five, six, seven years, I've been very committed to being not just someone who's constantly trying to further my connections, but always nurturing them. A lot of the people who I interviewed for that book and I started nurturing in 2015 and 16, in some way or another have led to the clients that I have today. Some of them directly, I've ghostwritten and continue to ghostwrite for people who appeared mm -hmm. in the success mistake. But other people have been like, oh, yeah, you should meet my friends, such and such, because I know the writer. And then they would introduce me to someone and they would introduce me to someone. 
just about every single writing client I've had in the last six or seven years can be attributed to it, to in some form to that book. Right. So, and a lot of them have been very chance encounters, you know, just emailing, grabbing a call, just having a bit of a catch up and, oh, actually, yeah, I was thinking about such and such. We should talk about that. And then you follow that rabbit hole and see where it takes you. Oh, just last week, I was speaking to my friend, Jeff, you know, I'll say, I'll, I'll CC you both in an email and then you know, you'd grab a call with Jeff and lo and behold, you know, two months later, you write it for Jeff. So yeah, just about every one of my clients, you know, my writing clients in the last five, six, seven years have stemmed indirectly or directly from the success and mistake. And it's amazing in that sense, because one connection leads to another, leads to another. You never have any idea what's going to come of that connection. Mm. You never have any idea what's going to come of sending a quick catch-up email and grabbing a call with someone who you've not spoken to for a couple of months just to shoot a breeze. Sometimes nothing comes of it in terms of, you know, like business and clients and referrals. Sometimes it does. But again, like I said earlier, you don't know what the journey is going to bring until you lean into it and just embrace it and just have fun with it. You never know what's going to happen when you write a book, when you publish a book, when you collaborate with an agent or a publisher or this or that. It's exactly the same with the connection. You never know what's going to happen when you just start chatting with someone, just grab a call, grab a coffee, just send a bunch of emails because you've not spoken to that, that group of people for a couple of months. Sometimes something comes of it in sense of like a client. Sometimes you learn you can help that person in another way. Sometimes you learn that they've got a new passion project and they've got a question themselves. It's all very exciting. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's an amazing thing because entrepreneurship is, you know, at its core about networking. Who you know is what you can do and, you know, what, what they can do for you, you can do for them, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like nowadays a lot of people get into this kind of networking business mode where it's like, here, take my business card. Let's talk. Let's, you know, haha, let's do this, have dinner. And it's like, that's not really genuine or that's not really real. And, you know, I feel like some of the, the, the best, you know, sales or, you know, the best kind of closing techniques are being genuine. You, you come up front and be like, hey, I'm a writer. This is what I live for. This is what I do. And that person might be like, oh, I'm, I'm a business person. I've been thinking about writing a book. Hey, I'm sure you're there like, you know, I can write for you if you want. You're not like, you must buy from me because I can do this and I can do that, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing you said is in one of your books, you said you interviewed a whole bunch of entrepreneurs. And much like on this podcast, I've interviewed lots of entrepreneurs as well. What kind of insights do you have that, you know, may have got left out of the book? Because I understand that, you know, there's a harsh editing process going through the book. But when you talk to so many people, you have a different insight into business, entrepreneurship, even life that other people won't because they're not having these kind of very focused conversations with these types of people. Well, one of the things which came across often kind of appeared in a book. I mean, it's a while since I've wrote it, so... <laughs> um, but yeah, one of the things that would often come across that I think we we too often forget about as entrepreneurs and business owners and you know in the online space, but just as people in the end, is we're all just people. Mm. We're all humans. And quite often you will follow someone online and you'll admire them, you know, because you see them as being successful. You see them being as further along the road than you. But one of the things I learned 
while interviewing all these people. I imagine you've come across this too. Interviewed numerous people, some similar level to me at the time, some like way, way ahead, like multi-millionaire, like been in the business for, you know, decades, top of the game kind of big deal. And they're just human, you know, they have the same kind of insecurities and self-doubts as anyone else. They will find themselves online comparing who they are to someone else. They have moments of, you know, doubt and fears and, you know, they, they're always kind of being pulled back in to like a scarcity-driven mindset. Even though they might consciously and, you know, proactively work from an abundant mindset, they're just human. And as humans, we're so often driven by emotions and those emotions feed certain thoughts and feelings that trigger certain responses. And those responses basically force you into acting and reacting in a certain way. And we forget about that because we put people on a pedestal. We assume that because person X is successful or has money or has authority, credibility, a big business, so on and so on, that they're immune to all of this, but they're not. So it's now open experience for me while writing that book because I just realized even though some of these people I'm speaking to, even those person I might be speaking to at the time were like way, way, way ahead of me, you know, way further down the road, they were still human. And that was reassuring. It was reassuring because it made me feel like, yeah, I too, whatever happens to me, the good and the bad, I will remain human. And there's, you know, the good parts of that and there's the not so good parts of that. And all we can do is, you know, just embrace the journey as best we can. So that was a big kind of takeaway from me, which I don't know whether came across in the book as much as it's, but it's something that I think about a lot. And it certainly inspired, you know, a lot of my writing since. Taking into account that that book had that effect on you and that book isn't beyond the pale, what effects did writing and finishing beyond the pale have on you? Well, a, a big, like a further exploration of that, to be honest, beyond the pale, by and large, is, is about this, this idea of hustle culture, not just the toxic nature that so often we'll, we'll think about, you know, working 70-hour weeks and things. That is bad, and that is something I, I certainly don't like. But for me, the real nature of hustle culture is this notion that we're always connected, like right now I can reach my phone and within 60 seconds scroll from Instagram or Facebook and peek into the lives of like a couple dozen people. And whether I do it on a conscious level or a subconscious level, I'm comparing myself to them. Mm. I'm comparing, so comparing how I look to how they look, my success to their success, the amount of money I have to the amount of money they have, what I wear to what they wear, my car to their car, so on and so on and so on. And we're all doing this if we do it consciously or subconsciously, we're all doing it pretty much every single day. Social media is a huge component of it, but obviously, you know, just out in the general world as well. And it's, it's exhausting. So that's what I took about Beyond the Pale. I tried to, you know, build this story where it really just hopefully opens your eyes to the fact that you're, you're human and that someone who is a you know virginal billionaire that's who it follows Ferdinand Foy who's a very successful Silicon Valley success story 
lots and lots of money, lots of fame, lots of authority, has the ability to pretty much do what he wants when he wants, but is still going through the same process as anyone else because he is still human. So I dove deep down that rabbit hole. You know, my relationship with myself, my relationship with other people, those that I care about, but also those that I have no connection with. You know, this idea of like our relationship with just people as a capital P, you know, people as a species. And yeah, it's fascinating because so often we will lose sight of the fact we're human, the people we're interacting with are human, the people we're following and admire are human. Right now, someone who is in the news everywhere because he's made this huge, gigantic leap, massive deal, Elon Musk, all the money in the world, all the power in the world, he's still human, though. Like He'll still have the same kind of insecurities and self-doubts as anyone else because he's human. And that was a big thing which I took away from Beyond the Pale. It really forced me to, I suppose, confront my humanity you know, for the good and for the bad, you know, the, the fragility of what it means to be human, but the, the power of what it means to be human, you know, what we're capable of as individuals and as a collective. You said you like to, to kind of dive deep and, and look into the deeper parts of the issues. And obviously with that would come a lot of research. I'm wondering, where do you do your research? Are you kind of, you know, they're Googling it up to the max? Are you reading books, listening to podcasts? And, you know, I'm just wondering what way where and how you do your research outside of the interviews obviously yeah i mean it's a, it's a bit of everything so for the for the next book in the series uh, it's going to be called beyond the horizon and obviously there's a lot of self-reflection that goes into it that's a big part of the research just me trying to reflect on my thoughts my feelings my perceptions but the big themes in this upcoming book surround blockchain not necessarily cryptocurrency, but, you know, the impact blockchain as a, as like an infrastructure could have moving forward. And biohacking is another big part of it. Um, you know, this, this uh, what I see is quite a toxic relationship with um, spirituality meets philosophy in the new age sense. Mm. These are some of the big things. So, those are like the big things which I'm exploring in this current book. And at the minute, it's it's largely blockchain. So yeah, I'm reading books on it, um, articles, videos. But then a big part of it is usually for every one of the, like the key themes within a book, I'll try and like speak to one or two people who have had an impact on my own journey to get their insights. And the kind of questions that I'm asking them are what I've kind of discovered from my research, both reading other books, watching the videos, etc., but also my own self-reflection. And then the insights I get from the people that I interview have a big fundamental impact on what ends up on the page. So it's a bit of a roundabout process. A lot of the research that I'll gather maybe from books and articles and videos won't make it on the page per se, but they will fuel the questions that fuel the answers which then comes back into my brain and then I interpret them into the story. So it's a bit of a collective, you know, yeah. it's my thoughts, my feelings, my experiences and perceptions to people I speak to. And yeah, it's through books, it's through articles, it's through videos. And 
I try not to get too caught up in research. I'm not one of those writers who will read a dozen books just to get a chapter out. I feel like that can be too much. It depends on what you're researching. Some requires more research than others. I have greater experience with certain themes than others. I didn't, have, for instance, have to do as much, um, you know, quote unquote, research for Beyond the Pale, because a lot of the stuff which I was writing about came on the back of what I'd kind of researched and learned through writing Success Mistake. So I'm having to do more traditional research for Beyond the Horizon because what I, the, the curiosity is that we're unearthed from writing Beyond the Pale and now going to feature in the next book in the sequel. So I'm having to do a bit more sort of deep dive traditional research in books and articles and videos and the like and podcasts. I had to do less of that for Beyond the Pale, some of it, but not as much. But, uh, but yeah, I'm not someone who just dives in and will read 20 books just to try and get, you know, a couple of paragraphs on the page. But I try to make sure that I'm doing enough so I understand a subject, understand a topic, but it all comes back to me and my interpretations, my experiences, my curiosities. And then I speak to people who I consider thought leaders in that space to, to get some more inspiration and more insight. Yeah. And it sounds like from what I'm kind of picking up here, there's different seasons to your life. So there's the stage you're in right now where you're researching and writing or sorry, researching, yeah. then there's writing and then there's, you know, the publish kind of promotion type section. Let's say that there's a kind of four seasons of your life. And obviously mm -hmm. the whole time, like you said, you want to be a father, you want to be an active full-time father. You want to be involved in your kids' lives. So kind yeah. of talk me through the average day or week that you that you would have in, in, you know, in the kind of season you're in now. So you're in this research, planning out the book stage. You know, when does your day start? Do you have like a morning routine? Do you have an evening routine? Um, I'm, I'm getting back into the morning and evening routines, which were a pretty good place pre-lockdown. But uh, lots of bad, lots of good habits went out of the window during that period. But I don't think I'm alone in that sense. I mean... On an average day, I'll spend a good chunk of my morning and early afternoon working on client work, um, working with, on client projects. So ghostwriting, sometimes it's a book, articles, uh, whatever that may entail. And then in the afternoon is quite often for my own personal work around the books. That's kind of split between making sure I'm doing what I need to do to promote Beyond the Pale because that's a never-ending experience and kind of like work on the sort of marketing of the books that already exist. And then there's parts which are focused on the next book. At the moment, as you say right now, it's it's very organic. Um, I certainly found it harder than I would have liked to kind of get into the research elements. And for one reason or another, I was hoping I would be in a place at the start of quarter two of this year to start writing but I quickly realized that that wasn't the case I so I'm just taking it as it comes I never try to put too much pressure on myself especially when it comes to the research because there's seasons within the research some research comes easier than others sometimes it accelerates sometimes it slows down I've very much just taken the time to like properly reflect on it and to kind of gather my thoughts and allow the the thoughts of what the story will be to sort of marinate and ruminate inside me. And yeah, at the minute, it's very much a research driven season where I'm thinking about the book a lot. Um, kind of right now, just in the process of getting what's on the wall as like a structure on post-it notes onto the computer and bringing some of the uh, current research to a close, speaking to some 
people that are linked to that, that research, that topic. And then I will be in a position where I can move on to the next part of the research and start maybe some of the early writing. But there's no set structure as such. It's evolutionary. It's very fluid, like water. You go through twists and turns. But I think, um, yeah, probably until the back end of the summer is going to be very much just research mode. As we move into the fall of 2022, I'll be in a position where I can start leaning in heavily to the writing. How long that all comes together, it's difficult to say. Could be weeks, months, half a year. We'll see. But yeah, it's part of the fun. And one of the things I've learned, especially while we're like, I, I, for the first time ever, right beyond the pale, I gave myself permission to just take it as it comes. I didn't set a hard deadline of, I want to have this book's first draft completed by such and such date. I was just very much in a frame of mind, it will happen when it happens. I'm going to be consistent with it. I'm going to be committed to it. If it gets done by September, it gets done by September. If it's October, it's October. If it's January, it's January. I'm taking the exact same approach here. It, for me, is far better that way from a creative perspective, but it's better on a whole life perspective too. It makes sure that I can still you know, tick the boxes I need to tick as a dad and as a, as a human and as that. And yeah, it, you can have a lot more fun just writing a book and leaning into it if it's researching writing editing whatever it may be yeah and you said there's this kind of duality to your business and your and your writing effort so you've got kind of your your side of things where you're currently in the research stage and obviously if you're in the planning uh, the writing stage sorry you're in the writing stage or the promo stage but talk me through the ghostwriting stage because realistically you're getting lots of kind of reps in writing books if you're writing for other people so you're going through the process that you'd go through for your own book for other people many many times in probably quicker cycles no yeah and it's not always books a lot of times it's articles and you know like uh, you know nurture email sequences and, and guides and all sorts of things like different projects require different things but yeah the way i see it is writing's writing obviously when you're writing a book it needs greater structure it's a bigger body of work you know it's a big deal or at least it is a big big deal for me not everyone who writes a book uh, necessarily will go through the process I do. Everyone has their own process. But writing's writing. So whether I'm sitting down and planning out an article or a series of articles, whether I'm working on a chapter of a book and having to take a step back and maybe reflect on an entire section of a book, it all kind of comes from the same place. And like you say, it's repetition. You know, I'm putting through the repetitions constantly, just crafting that writing, you know, that sort of writing muscle, if you will. It all comes from the same place. You know, it's all coming from the same place in my, my brain. And, and sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's harder. Sometimes you're busier than other times. Sometimes, you know, the weather, for instance, affects me. I always find it easier to write and to get my creative juices flowing in the spring and summer months and when it's dark and wet and cold in the winter. So, yeah. It's always different, but it always comes from the same place, which I find both amazing and, and strange because you would think that writing fiction would be vastly different to writing nonfiction. Working on your own projects would be vastly different to ghostwriting for someone else. And whether it's a book versus an article versus an email, and they are different, but at the same time not because they come from the same place, if that makes sense. Um 
wondering, you said that you find it easier to write in the summer and, you know, spring times. So, you know, let's assume winter time and maybe autumn time, you, you encounter writer's block more often. And the dreaded question or, you know, the dreaded thing for most writers is how do you deal with writer's block? You just do it. You just do the work. It's like anything. Um, I think it, I think writer's block is hard for maybe people who, like if writing is not their thing all the time because they're distracted by other things. But in your, in any in any work, in any vocation, if you're ill, you're ill. You take a day off. But if you wake up and you just don't want to do your job today because you can't be bothered, you do it anyway because it's your job and you know, you've got to do the thing, right? You've got to do the task yeah. because either someone holds you accountable or you hold yourself accountable to do that. So writer's block, yeah, there's times when it's easier, there's times when it's harder, but more often than not, you just buckle down and do it. Sometimes that means I have to like pick up my laptop and go to the next coffee shop go for a quick walk, just kind of chill back, go for, you know, just unwind for a little bit. But then you get back to the page and you just write. And if you can just get through a few hundred words, you're going to be a few hundred words better off tomorrow. And quite often once you, you know, just commit to getting a few hundred words on this other page, it becomes a thousand words, mm. becomes 2000 words. That chapter half an hour ago felt absolutely impossible because you just committed to making a start and just getting like a couple of hundred words down. You've completed the chapter. You're like, okay, I think it's rubbish, but I did it. And then you come back the next day and review it and edit it. And you realize actually it's not as bad as I feared because you were just in a particular mood. You know, you were just in a particular state of mind yesterday and you move on. So yeah, like with anything, there's the good days, there's the bad days. There's the easier sections and the not so easier sections. Writer's block, I'm not saying it isn't a real thing. It can be stifling. And I've certainly had periods where I've just really struggled to get those creative juices going. But you just you just get on with it. You just dive in. You do, do what you can. You just do what you can. And if it's really struggling, you know, I'll just take a day. I'll be like, okay, it's not working today. So I'm just going to... Look after myself today, give myself permission to do that. But tomorrow, it's game. It's game on. Uh, that's one phrase uh, that I came across a, a while ago. I think, you know, probably about eight, nine years ago was the difference between a novice and a professional is that a professional, no, sorry, that a novice waits for inspiration, whereas a professional starts knowing inspiration will come. And that, that's exactly yeah. what you said is, you know, just get yeah. it going. And obviously there are some days where you can't switch it on, but it's it's battling against that to the point where you've definitely got that assured no, that you know, like, okay, today's not the day, you know, I've got a headache or this and all that. But one thing is, with especially with the writing and, and entrepreneurship in general, but specifically with writing, it's not a social activity. It's something that you do, alone and you know it's it's a very kind of a one man or a one woman or for a better phrase a one person journey how do you take care of your your mental health and and this kind of in this kind of work or this kind of choice of, of living your life of right i have to sit down here at this computer for eight nine hours a day writing by myself how, how do you kind of deal with that it's it's getting to understand yourself everyone's different um, I mean, if we're going to just create a very nice, simple, blunt kit, introvert versus extrovert, it's obviously far more nuanced than that, but for just sake of arguments, 
Um, if you're an extrovert, for instance, you're going to find it very difficult to, you know, just write on your lonesome all the time. In which case, you get to know yourself and be like, okay, can I go to writers' meetings? Can I collaborate with other writers? So. I'm, you know, in and around them and talking. Maybe you need to work in co-writers and um, places, you know, so you can actually be at a desk surrounded by other people. If you're an introvert, maybe you're absolutely okay with writing on your own. And you actually need to make sure that you're not just sat at a desk all day. You, you need to go out for a walk, take the dog for a walk, whatever it may be. And for me, I've learned that my most productive way, not just in terms of getting the tasks done, but for my own sort of mental well-being, because I really struggled with this during uh, lockdown. I need to be out writing around people. Mm. I don't want to be interacting with the people. I'm quite introverted in that sense. But I like writing in coffee shops because I feel like I'm a part of the world and I'm able to look up and just observe life going on around me. I'm able to hear the voices, hear the things, you know, listen to the background music. I like to just be in that environment. I found it very difficult to work when it was just me in my room writing during lockdown because it was just very quiet, very stifling. I know some writers, that's the only way that they can write. They need to do it for a couple of hours, but then they need to get outside because otherwise they just feel too lost in their worlds, if you know what I mean. So for me, I know that I can look after myself as long as I'm getting my laptop and I'm going out and I'm able to be in a coffee shop. It helps inspire me, it invigorates me, makes me more productive as a writer, but it also makes me more productive in a human self sense. I, I feel more at ease with my feelings, my thoughts. And if I, if I don't allow myself to have that, the evenings are much heavier, mm-hmm. much more exhausting because I just feel like I've had something stolen away from me. So it all comes down to knowing what you need. And I think that's true of all walks of life, writer or no writer. You have to appreciate what it is that fuels you, what it is that fills your cup the environment you need, the situations and circumstances you need, and then build your life around that as much as you can because you will be more productive that way. You will be more healthier that way, physically and mentally. You will certainly have a more in-tune appreciation of your feelings and your emotions. And all of those things combined lead to a much happier life. I was going to ask you actually, how can I live a more meaningful and more purpose-driven life? But you've kind of summed it up there that you need to be more in touch with yourself and kind of focus on what's what's good for you or what works best for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's true of everything, especially so when you're an entrepreneur or you work for yourself, because at some point you took this leap to escape, you know, that job you didn't like or that job job just didn't do it for you. And it's a risk to do that. You know, being any kind of entrepreneur or business owner or self-employed individual, it's a risk. It's scary. It's hard. So if you're going to take that risk and if you're going to continue to commit to that risk, the very least you owe to yourself is to live, you know, a purposeful and meaningful life. So figure out what that looks like. Figure out what success and purpose means to you and commit to that. Because otherwise, that business you set up will begin to feel like any other job. And you've got all the risk with none of the reward. Yeah. And, and taking that risk is is honestly one of the scariest things. And a lot of people don't really yeah. make it to that point, you know. But one thing I want to ask you about, you know, because you've taken that risk you've, and it's paid off or it's paying off, you know, you're in the process of, 
of building and, and working on your writing career and you know like I guess the, the word is you know working out the finer details of, of what that looks like for you but in this current moment what is it that brings you the most joy about what you do um one of the big switches and I mentioned it earlier this idea of give myself time to write beyond the pale and one of the big things that came from that was um I've read a book called the perennial seller by Ryan Holiday who is, is one of my sort of more favorite writers big fan of his and it just totally switched like a flip of a switch of my outlook on not just books but you know my work in general I I want things about I want to write things that last I want to write books that sell as many copies after I'm dead than when I'm alive which just changes how you play the game because um like it doesn't matter whether I get this book written this year or next. It doesn't matter whether I sell X amount of thousand books this year and, you know, X amount of thousand books. It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters to an extent. Consistency, you've got to keep on, you know, committing to the cause. You've got to keep on doing the thing. Keep on stepping up every single day, you know, practice, practice. Do the training, right? You want to run a race, you've got to train. You've got to turn up every day. Do the thing. But what if you get the outcome you desire today, tomorrow, next year, five years from now, 10 years from now? It doesn't matter so much. You obviously got to get a baseline. Money matters. It does. You want to be able to look after yourself. You want to be able to have a lifestyle that you deserve. You want to look after your, those that you, uh, you, know, you love and you care for, your family, your kids and the like. But whether you, you know, tick all your goals today, tomorrow, next year, it doesn't really matter. And the whole idea of creating a perennial seller in a book is that you have a book which you've got to like keep committing to and eventually you get to that tipping point and it starts taking a life of its own. The idea that it might sell 10 million copies in its lifetime and maybe 6 million of those copies come after you're dead. And I love the thought of that. I love the thought that what I'm writing today will have a lasting impact. It's my little crater on this earth. It's not going to touch anyone, everyone. It's not going to have an impact on everyone. But for some people, it will speak to them. And some of those people who it will speak to, if I do my job right, are not born yet. They won't be born for another year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And I love the thought that one day I'll be 80 and some 20-year-old who's not going to be born for like another 40 years, right? In a bit, well, no, another 20 years, reads my book and has their eyes opened in a way that mine were while writing it. That is the sort of thing that keeps me going. Like, yes, that is a worthy cause. That is something worth committing to. That is why I write the current book, the next book, the fifth book down the line, which I might not even start thinking about writing for another decade. That's what I do. That's why I do. Where can the people find you online? In terms of where to find about more about me and Beyond the Pale, you just need to go to beyondbook.co. That's beyondbook.co. And on there, you will be able to download the first uh, three chapters, I think it is, to read as a sample. And if you like that, all the links to like, Amazon and you know, Barnes & Noble, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, all the links from there. So beyondbook.co. And there's also links to my Instagram and Facebook. So if there's anything that you've 
had I don't know any kind of questions for me maybe you've uh, listened to this something's come to mind you know f- please feel free to email me drop me a message on Instagram or Facebook all my details are on there and it'll be great to chat so yeah beyondbook.co thank you for listening to People Explained new episodes come out every Monday we would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend